Okay, good to be sharing God's Word with you again. We have a, a full house today. So I'm going to get you to open up in your Bibles to John chapter 8, verse 31 with me, as we continue our look at Jesus, the light of the world. John chapter 8, verse 31, and we'll read to verses 36. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. These few verses here, some verses which are very, very popular. Okay. Verse 32, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. It's probably one of the most popularly um, quoted verses in the Bible. And the other one is, if the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. So what I'm hoping this morning to do is to help you understand the context of what Jesus is speaking about here and how we might apply those things to our lives and what they mean for us. You know, sometimes things are not what they seem on the outside. Would you agree? What might look like on the outside to be one thing, sometimes and very often is actually something else underneath. Now, sometimes people say they are one thing and they're actually something else. There are people, for instance, who put up their hand to serve as politicians in... Uh, in our country and every other country in the world and and the, the purpose of the politician is to serve the people correct but sometimes those people who've put up their hand aren't actually serving the people they're serving themselves the same is true for people who are policemen okay or who are in the police force seeking they, they, they make an oath to serve and protect and they're actually serving and protecting themselves some of them okay but that's true of every area in life, not just politicians and not just policemen. There are plenty of people out there. There are plenty of people standing behind pulpits today who are behind the pulpit because it is a lucrative way to live. You know what I mean? They can make themselves famous and live quite a high and lofty lifestyle simply by being the pastor of a church, believe it or not. Um, so sometimes people are one thing on the outside but something else on the inside. Some people start things in their lives with the wrong motive. Okay, they start the wrong way. Okay, and they never actually start properly. You'll notice in this particular passage that Jesus says, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Some people are not aware that during the course of his ministry, Jesus lost a lot of disciples. So we look at Jesus and we say, oh, you know, he was a wonderful orator. He, was, he had the words of life. He did miracles. Naturally, we think, well, everyone would be flocking to him and following him. In fact, that wasn't the case. He had spurts of, of people following him when they saw his miracles and when they heard his teaching. And then you have situations where things start to get a bit rough and they fall away. And so 
This passage needs to be seen in context of the fact that Jesus previously had lost a whole lot of disciples. And it's a bit like when people leave churches. They'll go to church, they don't stay at church, and maybe the reason they went to church was the wrong reason to start off with. And so they don't last. The question is, and the real question for everyone is, whether the words of Jesus have actually found a place in your heart. Okay? Or whether your motives are actually your own and you're fitting Jesus into your agenda. Does that make sense to everyone? So turn back with me to the passage that was read for us this morning, John chapter 6, verse 47. Because Jesus at this time lost a whole lot of disciples. And this occurred when he was preaching in Capernaum. And I want you to bear in mind that this occurred before chapter 8. We're looking at chapter 6 now. And so Jesus is here speaking to people who had seen his miracles. They'd come to hear him preach because they were very, very interested in what he, was, what he had to say. Okay? So in verse 47 in John chapter 6, I'm going to go through this carefully because I want to lay this as the foundation for what Jesus is saying in chapter 8. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth uh, on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I uh, will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now, we have the added benefit because we can, we can look at these words and look at them in hindsight. Okay, We know that Jesus gave his life and his flesh and his blood for the world where? At Calvary. Okay? But Calvary hasn't happened yet, has it? Okay, so there are people following Jesus who the thought of him being crucified as a criminal by the Romans would have been the first thing from their mind. How on earth is he going to give his life for the flesh of the world? For his flesh for the life of the world. So what's Jesus referring to? Well, we know what he's referring to. He's referring to his crucifixion, his death and his resurrection. Had it happened yet? No. But the question now is, while they might not understand what he is saying fully, the question is, how are they going to respond with what they may not understand fully? And so we have in verse 52 then, the Jews saying, therefore strove among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, that was against the law, right? You can't go being a cannibal, can you, right, if you're a Jew? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead, he that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Right, let's stop there for a moment. 
Jesus is obviously speaking metaphorically here because he says his flesh is going to give life to the entire world. Surely there's not enough flesh in him to feed everyone in the entire world, is there? You can't do that. The physically is not possible. But he's explaining it in a way that says, well, if you eat of my flesh and drink of my, blo my blood, I'm going to dwell in you and you are going to dwell in me. And because I'm connected to the Father, because I have life and I'm connected to the Father, because you're connected to me, you're going to have life too, you see, because God is the source of life. But these guys were struggling with this whole idea, with this metaphor that he was actually sharing. So the problem we have is it wasn't just the Jews that were struggling with this. It was his own disciples who began to murmur. Now, we're not just talking about the 12 here. We're talking about possibly 100, 200, even more that had chosen to follow him. Now, a disciple is someone who had made a decision to follow Jesus wherever he went, which means they had given up their previous life and they put themselves under his care and his responsibility, which means wherever he went, they were going to follow. That's why Judas was the treasurer you needed a treasurer because they were collecting money along the way and they needed to be able to eat as a band of men who were going around you remember jesus sent out how many to to knock on doors in all the cities of uh, of israel there were 70 okay at that stage that he sent out so these men had made a decision to follow Jesus, but even they began to murmur. So the Jews were, were saying, how can this, what's this guy talking about? How can we eat his flesh and drink his blood? That's like anathema. That's, that's, that is so wrong. And now his disciples are murmuring at this whole thing as well, singing, what's he talking about? I don't understand what he's talking about. Because look at verse 60, what it says. It says, many, therefore, of his disciples when they had heard this said this is an hard saying who can hear it when jesus knew in himself that his disciples that his disciples murmured at it he said unto them doth this offend you what and if you shall see the son of man ascend up where he was before does this offend you are you guys offended at what i'm saying which means don't you understand what i'm saying how can you be offended? Do you actually think I'm telling you to start taking bites out of me? Like, what are you What are you thinking? Is this offending you? What if you saw me rise up to my throne where I was before? Is that going, are you going to be offended then? Jesus is berating their lack of belief and trust in him. And understanding, obviously, since they were his disciples, they probably would have heard a few good lessons along the way. They would have already been uh, been accustomed to his teaching, yet they also were struggling with this whole teaching. And he feels now at this point that despite what they should have already known, that he has to spell it out for them too. And he spells it out for them very clearly in verse 63. It is the spirit that quickeneth, which means gives life. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. See, having come out from the, the Roman Catholic, a Roman Catholic background, and the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church is that the, the bread 
and the, 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 the juice or the wine that they have is literally transformed into the body and the blood of Jesus. And so the, there's a special ceremony that takes place every Sunday at every Catholic church at an altar. Okay, You notice that in this church we don't have an altar. This is not an altar. An altar is some, somewhere where you actually make a sacrifice. All right? An altar is where you lay a sacrifice down and you kill it. All right? this is, we don't have an altar in our church. And the reason we don't have an altar is the Bible says that Jesus died once for all. Okay, But every week, week after week, at every Roman Catholic church, they offer Jesus again as a sacrifice. In fact, the whole term mass means a sacrifice. That's why we don't have a mass. We have a service. We have a worship service. We have a, a get-together where we're worshipping God and we're learning from the Word of God. But in, in the Roman Catholic tradition, they literally sacrifice Jesus every Sunday and then the priest says a special prayer. They ring a few bells and that bread they say actually turns into the body of Jesus actually so if you drop that piece of bread on the floor you're dropping Jesus literally and if you drink that wine you're drinking literally his blood there's a magical thing that happens okay where they say Jesus comes down from his throne in heaven into that piece of bread and into that wine so Jesus is not talking about the flesh He's not talking about physical bread and wine. He's not talking about physical flesh, them eating his physical flesh and drinking his physical blood. He says to them, it's the words that I speak to you. It's the spirit that makes a difference, not flesh, not, not physical things. He says the flesh profiteth nothing. The word of God can breathe life into a dead spirit. So the Bible clearly teaches us that we are spirit, we are souls, we are souls, but we have a spirit and we have flesh. The flesh is corrupted. Okay, Our natural body is corrupted, but the spirit, which is pretty much non-functioning, okay, because that was the part that connected us to God, needs to be quickened. It needs to be, you know, when someone has a heart attack and they put those things on and they just give it a jolt, well, God's got to do that, right? And the way God does that is through his word, okay? And the word is able to breathe life back into us when the Holy Spirit comes and actually reconnects us back to God, right? So, it's the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh does not profit. Jesus had taught on this as well and the spirit was willing but the flesh is weak it is the words of jesus that bring life it is the gospel of salvation which when he died on that cross and rose again on that third day would bring life to the world through the gospel message you don't have to eat anything don't have to drink anything you don't have to have communion you don't have to be baptized in water you don't have to do anything in order to be saved. All you have to do is to believe. It's the words that bring life. And so they were struggling with this. His own disciples were struggling with this. But what that shows is when they couldn't understand something, it showed their lack of faith. 
Because if they really trusted Jesus, they would give themselves and him time to explain what he was talking about, rather than just be offended. Okay, And so instead, though, they're saying, this is, what is this? I don't understand this. This is hard thing to understand. This is hard thing to, to take. I, I can't really accept this. They didn't have the faith to trust Jesus. So what it did, it revealed something else. So Jesus says in verse 64 now, he says, but there are some of you that believe not. Now just stop right there. I want you to consider this. These were his disciples. These were people who had chosen to follow him. These are people who actually left their homes to follow him. And he's telling them, there are some of you who actually don't even believe. Why would you follow Jesus if you didn't believe? Well, because people do things for a number of different reasons. People do things for a lot of strange reasons in life. So he says, there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, and even who should betray him. And he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. From that time, verse 60, look at this verse. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. So, even though they had chosen to follow Jesus, even though they'd put up their hand and says, you're the Messiah, many of them did not actually believe. Not from the beginning. They didn't believe Jesus even knew who they were. Now, how does that work? And we look at that and we say, well, how does that actually work then? You know, if, if those disciples who are following him weren't even really believing, um, how does that actually work? Well, the fact of the matter is they didn't actually believe in Jesus. They believed in, Jesus, in the Jesus they wanted to believe in rather than the Jesus that was in front of their eyes. You see, they believed in Jesus in so much that it benefited them and their particular cause. Huh? Remember, they came to Jesus because when you were under a rabbi, when you were disciple of, a, of someone who was a teacher and you became their disciple, that teacher became responsible for you to look after you, to feed you, to make sure that you were taught in all things. And so for some of them, being a disciple, maybe because they had nothing else to go to, was a good thing. You know, having, having grown up, uh, once again, just going back to my Catholic, my Catholic background, hearing that in Italy, okay, during the war and, and, and those times, the best job you could have was to become a priest. Because if you became a priest, right, you not only had you were fed, you were you became educated because a lot of people couldn't weren't even educated. But if you were a priest, you got automatic training, you got you got a fantastic education, you were fed, and then on top of that, you could be a blessing to people in your family. Okay, so it was actually a good thing. It was a prestigious thing to be a priest. Now, was it necessarily a calling from God? Well, if I've got the option of having a good education. And, and actually being fed and, and living well uh, and then being a leader in the community and then maybe, I don't know what, the other option is, what are you going to go for? So maybe some people are following Jesus because it was just convenient. 
Maybe because they thought to themselves, well, you know, if he's really the Messiah, you know what? The Messiah is going to do what the Bible says, that he's eventually going to sit on the throne and he's going to be the king. And if we're following him from now, you know what that means? We're going to have a good when he finally rises to power. So there's a benefit to it, right? Maybe they saw some future benefit to feel part of something. And maybe being one of those disciples, you know, you might see Jesus and a band of 150 guys behind him for walking down the road in Capernaum and you think, wow, what's going on here? And they'll tell you, that's Jesus, the guy who does miracles and he, he you know, he fed 5,000 people with a few fish and look at the bang, look how many people are following him. Wow, I'm looking for something to do. I think I'm going to join them. Had they really trusted Jesus? No, Jesus knew from the beginning exactly why they joined, exactly why they became his disciple. And Jesus says, unless it's given to you of my father, you won't have it. God has to give you the grace to follow Jesus. Okay? And that comes through faith. Unless you exercise actual faith in Jesus God doesn't give you the grace in fact there's plenty of fake faith okay and fake faith does not receive grace in contrast so you have this huge number it says many of his disciples says nah that's it had enough here can't deal with whatever he's saying and I don't want to spend the time trying to work it out I'm out of here and then Jesus turns back to his main disciples, his 12. And look at what he says to them. He says, Then Jesus uh, said Jesus unto the 12, Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you was a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Did Judas believe in Jesus from the beginning? The answer is no. Some people make an argument about losing your salvation because, you know, Judas, one of the twelve, had, you know, obviously lost his salvation. Jesus, Judas never had salvation to begin with. First of all, Jesus, Judas didn't even believe in Jesus the same way the other 12. Jesus says he chose him, but he was already a devil. Okay, He already knew that he was a devil. Was Judas ever saved? Well, the answer is no. Actually, a question for that is, were any of the disciples born again? Were any of the disciples born again and saved? The answer to that is no. Not one was born again. Because being born again only ever happened after the Holy Spirit was given. And that's after Jesus died, rose again, spent 40 more days on the earth, and then ascended into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit. Being born again is an act of the Holy Spirit. Being born again did not happen in the Old Testament. No Old Testament saint was born again. Okay, because the Spirit had not yet been given. 
And so we have this particular benefit of having come after where salvation is by grace through faith and God seals that person for exercising faith and makes them his child. He makes them born again. That's the grace of God. So were they born again? No, none of them were. But the truth of the matter is you could still believe, right, in Jesus. You could still believe the right way, but someone like Judas didn't believe at all. And so you have the contrast between Jesus' disciples that left him and then you also have Simon Peter who says, where are we going to go? You've got the words of life and we believe and are sure that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so perfect answer from Peter. Textbook answer from this fisherman who often put his foot in it. Okay. The foundation of faith is required. He professed and said that they believed and were sure. And so only a few genuine believers stayed with Jesus. The rest of them left him and got put off when something came up that was difficult for them to understand. So with this in mind, I want you to now go back to John chapter 8, verse 31. And now this might look a little bit different to you, this passage, because do you remember how we finished last week? Jesus is in the temple. He's preaching, I am the light of the world. He who, has, who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And so he's got the, the Pharisees complaining against him and say, how dare you talk like that? Who do you think you are giving witness for yourself? And then it says in, in the, the verse just before, in verse 30, that as he was teaching these things, what does it say? They believed in him. All right. Now Jesus is going to talk to them specifically, right? The ones who believed in him. Because the question now is, what do you actually believe? And he says in verse 31, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. We're not talking about the Pharisees anymore. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You see, there's a number of them who hadn't continued did they so it's only the ones who continue that are his genuine disciples you can't choose to follow the son of god and then change your mind about it and then say you're a genuine disciple in the first place you're not a genuine disciple it's only the disciples who continue okay who are genuine disciples so jesus is saying well you know you might choose to believe in me and if you want to become my disciple that's fine but it's only if you continue in my word are you actually my disciple and he says these really famous words. If you continue with my word, then you're my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Did you get that? Only if you continue in his word, which means believe and obey. Continue doesn't mean that, oh, I could just continue just standing here like a dodo, not doing anything. Continuing in his word means to not just understand it and believe it, but to do it. A genuine disciple is a disciple in faith and in deed. A disciple is someone who has to follow. A disciple is not someone who says, you know, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'll come and see him once once every couple of months. A disciple has to follow Jesus every day. Okay, So they're giving us a picture of how we are called to live our lives. 
disciples who get a few to verse 31. Uh, a lot of people say, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Fantastic. Okay, you're going to know the truth and the truth shall make you free. But look at something. In verse 32, there's a word at the beginning which changes everything. And that word is and. The and means it's continuing from the previous verse. Okay, there's a continuation happening here. Truth will you be free. The word and is very, very important. How shall you know the truth? By being a genuine disciple. Someone who has decided to learn about Jesus, to follow Jesus, and then live what he is telling them to live, to continue in it. And it's only when you continue in it are you actually becoming free. Now, that might sound a bit complicated, but I want you to turn to John chapter 7 with me for a moment. Because for those of you who've been around for a while, know that I'm actually preaching a similar message to what I've preached before. This might sound complicated, but it's actually very easy. John chapter 7, verse 16 says, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but he is that sent me. Who sent him? The Father, right? God the Father. Verse 17, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Now understand those words. Jesus says, the doctrine I'm sharing with you, the stuff I'm teaching you is not coming just from me, it's coming from God the Father. And any man who actually does it is going to understand that it's whether it's from God or whether it's not. It's only in the doing do you realize that it's actually real, that it's actually from God. If any man will do God's will, he will know the reality and the truth of the doctrines of Christ. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. Okay, the pudding might look nice on the outside, but it might taste terrible on the inside. So Jesus is saying, if a man will do my words, if he will follow and obey, then it will be confirmed to you what I'm teaching you is correct. It's not in admiring the teaching it's not in in worshiping the teaching it's it's none of that it's not even agreeing with the teaching there's plenty of people who agree with jesus teaching there are atheists who agree with te jesus teachings to love your enemy there's there's are atheists who agree with much of what jesus taught there are people who don't follow christ there are people who are religious who don't aren't born again don't understand the bible from uh from anything who agree with jesus teachings in my previous life, we would recite the Apostles' Creed in the Catholic Church. Now, the Apostles' Creed goes back a whole long way. And it actually talks about the belief in the Trinity, the belief that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, that he rose again on the third day, and that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Do we agree with that? 100%. Did I agree with it in my mind? Yes, I did. But did it do anything in my heart? No. You agree with a lot of things. And you probably agree with a lot of things that other people say, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that word is actually living inside them or has made any change within them. There wasn't any fruit in me in those days. There was no result of what those words meant. 
I might have agreed with them intellectually, but there was nothing within my heart where God's word had borne fruit. There was no understanding because there was something out there. It was something that wasn't connected to me. It was something I could stand back and look at and admire like a painting, but I wasn't in that painting. I wasn't in that picture. I wasn't part of it. And so this is the difference. This principle is super important for us to understand. Every believer should understand this principle, which is very, very easy. It's obeying Jesus that brings a result. You can memorize the Bible and have it in your head completely. And it still may not be in your heart. Because if you choose not to live it, you will not bear fruit. It's only in the doing okay, that your life will change. And you will see the power of the word of God. Being set free from the, our, the sins of our flesh and the weaknesses that still lurk within us only come by, first of all, receiving the truth of Christ and then continuing in that truth, which means living it. It's a bit like this, and if I can give you this illustration, it's a bit like you've gone into a dark room and it might, maybe, you know, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, there's no electricity, so you can't just flick a switch. And so the only means of lighting up a room was lighting a candle, okay? And so you had a, one candle, but the room is pretty big. And sometimes the candle doesn't light the entire room, but it's all you've got. So you, you light the candle in a dark room, and then you try to navigate around that room. But you haven't got a lot of experience with candles, maybe. And you, you're trying to work out, do I hold it higher? Or does it, if I hold it close to my feet, can I see what I'm walking around? And so by experience, you begin to work out how this light actually works best, okay? But you, you can actually see things in the room. You might not see everything in the room, but you can see some things and you can start to navigate your way around. Whereas before, you were in complete darkness, right? And then you might come across another candle and you think, oh, wow, another candle. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Let's light that one up too. And so you take that one candle that you've got lit and you just bring the other candle next to it and all of a sudden you've got two candles. You've got twice the luminescence. And all of a sudden you can see now things way more better than what you had before. You see, that's what following Jesus and obeying him is like. The more you use the candle the more you see what's around you, the more you become familiar with it, the more knowledge you have about using it, and then you get more and more candles, and you get more and more light. <coughs> but unless you used a candle in the first place, you would have never found the second candle. But yet there are people who have candles given to them by God that they never light. They've got whole boxes of candles. They've got candles coming out of their ears. They've got all the knowledge, but they've never lit one of them. So they can't see what's going on. They are spiritually in darkness and spiritually dead. You can believe in the power of a candle as much as you like. You can say, what a wonderful device this invention is. This invention you know, illuminates the life of people and they can see what's going on in the darkness. Wonderful. But unless you light that candle, 
You're in darkness yourself. And yet there are people in this world who have candles at their disposal. God has given them many candles. And yet they will never light them. And they will die in their sins because they never did. Unless I light my first candle and learn to use it and get around, I am still as blind as a bat and going nowhere. Continuing does not just mean learning about something or appreciating something or agreeing with something. Believing means that you're willing to take that next step with that thing because that reveals what you really believe. And when the going gets tough, it's not the tough get going. When the going gets tough, you know God is with you every step of the way and you trust in him more. There's this, there's this um, a good illustration that uh, Ray Comfort has about um, salvation. And it's a bit, and he gives this illustration of a plane. And the, there's a fellow in the plane, and, um, and they offer him a parachute. And, uh, and he's enjoying himself on the plane. He's quite comfortable sitting in his chair. And they come up to him and they say, listen, there's a possibility, you know, there's a, there's a huge thunderstorm that we're going into right now. And there's a possibility that, you know, the plane could go down. We're experiencing problems. Uh, can you please put this parachute on? Okay. Um, and he puts a parachute on. Is it comfortable, the parachute? No. It's not comfortable wearing a parachute in a... In a they're already... I mean, some of you go first class. But... <laughs> <laughs> but for those of us who travel cattle class, um, if you were to if you were to put a parachute on in those little tiny chairs that they've got, where your knees are already up to your uh, <laughs> to your chest, um, that's not going to be a pleasant experience. You see, you don't wear a parachute for comfort, do you? You don't wear a parachute because it makes your flight smoother. You wear a parachute because the plane is going to go down. All right. And so that's what the gospel of salvation is. You don't put on Jesus because it makes you more comfortable. You don't put on Jesus because it's going to give you a smoother ride in life or he's going to give you, you know, all these blessings that you didn't have before and all this sort of stuff. No, no. When you put that thing on, you know that the plane's going to go down. Okay? And so when the plane starts shaking with all the with turbulence, are you going to let go of the parachute? No, because the, you know the parachute's there to save you. So if you're genuinely saved, you're not going to just like these guys did, drop the parachute as if, oh, no, that's, oh, that's ridiculous. No, no, I don't want to do that. Someone who's actually genuinely saved understands what the parachute's for. And when turbulence comes and when hard times come and when things become more and more difficult, they hold on to the parachute even harder because of the grace of God. So, being born again, for those of us who are born again, when God opened up our eyes, you see, a baby, a baby's just started to live, right? And, but a baby needs food. It needs, it needs to grow. It needs to move and gain abilities. And so, turn to First Peter, chapter one, with me. First Peter, chapter one. Because the Apostle Peter puts it in this particular way. 
First Peter chapter 1, verse 23. So Peter's saying about those who have been born again. Okay? He says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Wherefore, because you have been born again by the word of God that never decays, wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If so be that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So how are we born again? By the word of God. And that word is incorruptible. It cannot, it cannot decay. And if you've been born again, you cannot decay either. You are born to eternal life. And if it wasn't, if you could be born to eternal life and then lose it because of something you did, well, that wouldn't actually be eternal life, would it? It would be temporary life, but not eternal. James teaches the same thing. So, so Peter's saying, because you've been born again, now. Get rid of these things. Get rid of malice and guile and hypocrisy and envy and, and anything evil coming out of your mouth. And James says the same thing. Turn to James chapter 1, verse 22. James chapter 1, verse 22. So James says, very clearly, he doesn't mince his words, James. He never does. But be ye doers of the word and not here as only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man beholding him his natural face in a glass, or like a mirror. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, continueth, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. That is true also for people who are saved. Okay? Yes, we are saved once by an action of God, but you can live your life in a complete debacle if you don't follow what Jesus taught. It was only when you become a doer of the word will you be blessed in what you do. There are plenty of, of people out there who are possibly genuine believers who complain bitterly about their life and why God didn't do this and that for them and why they've been, you know, why they find themselves in circumstances that they're in. And 99.999% of the time, those circumstances are created by themselves. Did Jesus teach the same thing? Yes. Turn to Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Luke 6.46 says, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me, and heareth my sayings, and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. 
He is like a man which built an house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man with that without a foundation built an house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. You see, those disciples that chose to follow Jesus and then depart had their house built on sand or earth. There was no foundation to them. The foundation for a believer is the gospel. And the gospel brings salvation. And if you have been genuinely born again, you can build your house because you've been born again by the power of God. And then you can build on that. The question is how we're going to build. What type of builders are we? Okay, Are we going to build with things that only last temporarily, like wood, hay and stubble, and when, when our works get tested at the end before God, there's nothing to show, or will you build with gold, silver and precious stones? And that's what we need to be building with. So if you, want to, if you follow Jesus' um, uh, commands, you will build with precious things that will last forever. That's what our goal should be. And so there's a pattern. Do you see the pattern? You believe, but then you do. And in the doing, you find out how really good it is how deep it actually is because you see the results of it in your life and then it, there's a feedback loop all right so when you experience that thing it may it increases your faith faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of god and it's only by the living of the word of god is our faith increased it's only in the exercise do the muscles get bigger okay so John chapter 8, verse 33. Let's finish off this, uh, this passage. And so you've got these, these people who believed in Jesus, right? They've believed on him. And he said to them, Only if you are my disciples indeed will you, be, will you know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now all of a sudden, they've got a problem. Okay? What do you mean you're going to set us free? What does that mean? And they, they answered him in verse 33, uh, We be Abraham's seed. And we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Oh, that, does that sound offended to you? That sounds offended to me. Well, what do you mean? We're going to be. We're, you're going to free us. Well, I'm not. Well, we've never been in bondage. I mean, hang, hang on a sec. Well, we're not. We're not slaves to anyone. We're Abraham's descendants. Obviously, forgot about being bondage in Egypt for 400 years. Obviously, forgot about uh, being being shipped off to Assyria. Obviously, also forgot about seventy years in Babylon. Okay, and also the fact that the Romans had now them in subjugation. Let's put those things aside for a moment. Right? Um, maybe they meant spiritual freedom. They had the truth. Maybe. Uh, let's look at Israel's history. How many times had they fallen? How many times did they betrayed God? How many times did they turn against God? How many times did they did they go and follow other gods when God had them in their own in their own land and had given them so much? Had they been in bondage? Yes, 
multiple times, despite the fact that they were Abraham's descendants, and despite the fact that they, what they thought they actually had. But they're way off track here. They're way off track. They've been offended by what Jesus has said because he's saying to them that there's obviously they're in bondage, right? So rather than asking, what is he talking about? What does he mean that I'm in bondage? Bondage to what? Instead of asking themselves that question, their pride got in the way and they got offended. You see, and God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Why would they need to be freed? They were free already. Now Jesus says, don't throw your, cast your pearl before swine because I'll trample them underfoot. Okay? There, if a person does not believe that they are in bondage to sin and that they're a slave to sin, will they ever come to Jesus? No. Why would you? If you're going to come to Jesus, you're going to come on your terms because he doesn't need to free me. I'm already free. I'll follow him on my terms. And so that's what these people were doing. They believed in Jesus, but did they actually? what did they actually believe? And it's showing up that they actually don't believe in him at all. Why would they need to be freed? Instead of asking, what does, it, what does this have to do with me? So immediately they answer in the negative, as if Jesus had made some sort of a huge mistake. And once again, Jesus to clarify. Look at verse 34. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whoever committeth sin is a servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. It's sin that you are in bondage to because you're a servant to it. It's sin that you need to be freed from and only I can free you from it. I am the only one who actually is not corrupted by it. I am the only one who has not succumbed to it. You may believe that you belong to the household of God, but the fact is that you sin. And the fact is that because you sin, you can't stay there. And you will be cast out. Eventually, everyone has to leave. Eventually, all must depart. All stand condemned because everyone succumbs to sin and the temptations of it. The only one who can stay in the house is the son. By his very nature, he's not only the one who is perfect within the house, he is actually the owner of the house. Okay? So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3, which gives us, it's a wrap-up, just to wrap this thing up, a description of what it means for Jesus to be the son. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Now, you know why it's called an apostle here? Because an apostle is someone who's been sent, right? And he is the first apostle because he was sent by God. Okay, so he is consider him. It says, have a think about all right, the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, 
as also Moses was faithful in all his house. Okay, so was Jesus faithful to God? 100%. And also says, and Moses was faithful in his house. In whose house? It says, God's. it's actually God's house. Moses was faithful in God's house, but it doesn't say Jesus was faithful in God's house. It just says Jesus was faithful to God. Look at verse 3. For this man, Jesus Christ, was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house has more honour than the house. <laughs> so who's the builder? Jesus is the builder of the house. Moses is the house. Okay, He's part of the house. And Jesus is worth, worthy of much more glory than Moses because while Moses was a part of the house, Jesus is a builder of the house. And verse 4 then says, For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. Who's he speaking about? Jesus. Jesus Christ, the builder of the house. Moses served in God's house. Jesus is the builder and the owner of the house. And verse 5 says, And Moses verily was faithful in, in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Christ is a son over his own house. We are the house. He is building us into this beautiful home. Okay, And each of us have been called to serve in that home. Just as Moses was called to serve his people at his time, we are called to serve God in the house that we are in. You see, a pastor is called to be the servant okay, in the church. He is not the Lord over the church. I am not the boss of everyone. I am called to be the servant and I am called to be faithful to you, to serve him in this place and in you all because he is building you into a house. okay, And not just a house, but into a temple where he's living in. Okay? And it says here in verse 6 that the ones who are the true house will hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope until the end. That's the confidence we have. It's only if you hold that to the end. Now, that does not mean that, oh, if I, if I you know, stop believing at some time. No, no, you don't have to fear about stopping believing. Because if you're born again, you will believe to the end. Not because of what we do, but God puts his grace in us. Okay? God holds us in his hand. We're not holding on to him. Okay? He's holding on to us. And we will believe to the end. And the ones that were shown to be genuine will last to the end. They will not be offended at things that they don't understand. They will not fall away when times get hard because we are kept by the power of God. Our sins have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. We have been adopted into God's family. We can never be removed from the house. But the calling for us is to serve in the house. To serve. 
to follow what he has told us, to live according to his ways. Because John 8.36 says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And my question to you this morning is, have you been made free? Have you been freed from the bondage of sin? Have you been freed and seated with Christ in heavenly places? Have you been freed and given a new identity? Have you been released from, your, from the bondage of your flesh? Because the Bible says that our old man was nailed on that cross with him. Okay? That's the most important question you, have, you can ask yourself this morning. And if you don't have an answer to that, please have an answer because it simply takes an exercise of your will to choose to believe and to invite Jesus into your heart. So, if you are saved this morning, learn the word of God, believe the word of God, live the word of God, continue in the word of God. And if you aren't saved this morning, please learn the word of God, believe the word of God, and live it. Receive Jesus today. God bless you.